0: how the evolution of the market is taking place. And it can inform future action and make you more effective than, I guess, coming up with sort of one grand plan and saying, we'll wait till this is finished and then we'll set out and it'll be sort of high stakes, succeed or fail. I think it's, we sort of have to reflect on the market, which is continuously evolving. And so I'm Blake Good. CEO of the RFI Foundation, and you are listening to Gut Talks, double G-U-T-T.
1: Hi, everyone. Welcome to season one of Gut Talks, double G-U-T-T, a podcast focusing on business and tech for good, experience design and gut feelings. I'm Maria, designer, Strategist and venture builder, running two ventures, Gut, WG, and Other Dots Foundation. I decided to launch Gut Talks as the pandemic hit, with an ambition to educate, put some karma on the board, and feature entrepreneurs, industry leaders, and investors who deserve recognition and have inspiring stories to tell. Feel free to email me if you need me, Maria at G, U, T, or check the links in the show notes. Now let's get started. Our guest today is Blake Gould. He's the CEO of the Responsible Finance and Investment Foundation, RFI since its establishment in 2015. The RFI is a nonprofit organization working to identify a neutral, nonpartisan and universal value proposition for responsible finance. Before joining RFI, Blake was Chief Research Officer at Middle East Global Advisors and Community Leader for the Thomson Reuters Islamic Finance Gateway Community. His published research includes papers on incorporating environmental, social, and governments within Islamic finance and microfinance, renewable energy microfinance, and Islamic public finance. The topic we will explore today is all about ESGs and responsible finance in business. I'm very excited to have Blake today, as it's a fascinating topic where action is needed more than ever. Blake, hi, and thank you for being here.
0: You're welcome. Thank you for inviting me.
1: Yeah, I'm conscious that 40 minutes or an hour of your time is not enough to pick up your brain, but I'll try to do as much as I can with that. So can you introduce who you are and what's the RFI Foundation beyond what I said, because I know there's much more to that?
0: Yeah, so the RFI Foundation is focused on all about how Islamic finance and responsible finance connect, and that's been a key interest of mine for a long time. I've been working around Islamic finance since 2006, and part of the reason that I got interested in it was the overlap with socially responsible investing, and we've seen a lot of progression in Islamic finance. Since then, responsible finance has grown significantly also. And now over the last five years that had the chance with RFI to to help bring those two closer together in practice.
1: And what got you interested in that firsthand, you as Blake?
0: It's nice to see a return to what got me interested originally, which was that commonality between Islamic finance and at the time socially responsible investing, but now it's broadened out to responsible finance. At the time, there were two separate worlds. And what interested me specifically about Islamic finance was that it took a broader view. It didn't just exclude certain investments that were viewed as unethical. It also, what is a positive view for what the financial system should do? And it also, beyond investing and also looked at insurance and banking, so covering the whole financial sector. That's really what interested me from the start. So it's been nice to have some sort of return to that where now we're seeing more connection practice.
1: And what got you into becoming the CEO of the Responsible Finance Institution and trying to grow this at a global scale and creating awareness for companies, but also individuals?
0: I think having that interest and also sort of being the right place at the right time to be invited to take on this role. And at the time when RFI was set up, there really wasn't much outside of academic perspectives about the alignment between responsible finance and Islamic finance. So a couple of years really focused on building that awareness within in the practitioner community, within the financial institutions, that there was that commonality. And thankfully, we've had some tailwinds over that time period with getting set up right as the Paris Agreement was signed, as the SDGs were sustainable development goals were introduced. So there's some tailwinds that really helped. And we've seen a pretty big explosion of interest now connecting ESG and SDGs and with Islamic finance and having that conversation be sort of commonplace now.
1: You're also employing interesting terms. You're based in the US, you're American, and you're really heavily involved in responsible finance and Islamic finance. And can you just clarify what's the difference between both and how Islamic finance is beyond the religion. It's about doing good and being responsible in a certain way.
0: Yeah, I guess the starting point of the commonality is it's all search of returning financial sector's role to being a facilitator and intermediation tool for the economy as a whole and returning to that sense of purpose that finance isn't just supposed to be out there for its own benefit, but it's supposed to be Contributing to society's benefit. And so Islamic finance is developed specifically based on an Islamic ethical perspective, but it's very much designed to be universal and I think picks up a lot of themes around protecting parties within commercial transactions from exploitation of one by the other. It puts forward the bigger view, bigger perspective that helping humanity being good stewards of the environment are important long-term objectives. These are the things that really make it more accessible beyond just it's not just for Muslims. I wouldn't have been involved for so many years and been included in so many conversations within Islamic finance if it was, because so I'm not, not a Muslim myself, but it's really that universal perspective that brings in a lot of common shared beliefs that are common across a lot of groups of people that has kept me interested and engaged and glad to see how it's over time building in more of those positive values of here's what we should do, here's what we should be financing, here's how we should be changing the way that finance works.
1: Yeah, thank you for that. I think that kind of gives a wider perspective to why you're involved and how this can be helpful for the society as a whole. And the integration of the ESGs, so environmental, social and corporate governments in businesses is not just profitable, but it's vital to help companies ensure you know financial sustainability over the long term. So just thinking beyond tomorrow, beyond today's shareholders' pockets. So It's also a buzzword, right? Just incorporating the ESGs and so on and the SDGs. Today, it's a common buzzword. I would say, especially in 2020 as well, when companies are kind of having a wake-up call and talking about purpose and so on. How would you put this in um, simple terms for a company? Why is this important beyond being a buzzword? Why should they do it today before tomorrow and take action now?
0: It was valuable to do before it became as widespread as it is now. And it is a buzzword because people want to get on board with something that's popular and something that's been working and that people are going to seek out. But at its heart, the reason it's valuable is because it's taking a decision-making process that companies had employed, which was very short-term, profit-focused, so what are we making this quarter? What are we making next quarter? Viewpoint to say... Well, there's other things we need that allow us to make those profits, and we have to take care of those to make sure that we're not making profits today at the expense of things that will cost profit in the future. And so I think the core of it, whether it's on issues of climate change, on supply chains, on labor issues and supply chains, corporate governance, and the whole concept of sustainability is about how can you make it today without undermining what will help you make it in the future, whether it's for next year or for future generations.
1: Yeah, Absolutely. And how would you approach a large organization to do that? Like for real, do they need handholding? Because I know you're also involved in different activities and so on. So what's their reaction as well?
0: I think the most important thing about interacting with larger organizations is to realize that it's not sort of one uniform box of a thing. It's made up of people and people inside the company working for it are going to have similar concerns as the community as a whole and as in some cases investors because they want to have their job next year they want to have their job after that they want to be seen as being in alignment with the things that are doing well because that'll help them make their job easier and so in terms of how do you approach large organizations and change them it's really how do you find the community of people who are inclined to work on that and create change and help empower them within the structure of the organization. And so that can be, sometimes that comes from the bottom up in terms of employees trying to find ways to change practices within the company. Sometimes it comes top down with the, either the board or the senior management, either on their own initiative or hearing from investors that they need to start addressing environmental, social, and governance concerns. But it's always important not to see it sort of as a, as a huge monolith that changes really slowly, but as a collection of people who can push change as fast or as slowly as they want, particularly where they have, where there's something that aligns the interest of a wide range of people within the company with what's being pushed from external parties, whether it's investors or other stakeholders.
1: So do you have, I'm not going to say a practical example, but kind of a best practices, let's call it that way. From one of your experiences where you try to support a company into not switching, but becoming more responsible. I know there isn't a perfect example or one formula that will work for all, but some best practices you discovered yourself.
0: Yeah. We have a few examples, case studies on our website of some companies, but I think in general, sort of what you can take away from those in short, without going into much detail about individual ones was what was really helpful I've found in the world of responsible finance and with ESG is navigating what's important, what's relevant for any particular company, because there's so much out there. There's so many different topics that can be looked at that it becomes daunting, particularly for companies that are just getting going to figure out where, where should they start in a way that will make be impactful, be useful for, their, for them, useful for raising their profiles at company that is able to tap into responsible finance. So that process of looking at what best practice is, where there's gaps between what a company is doing and what best practice, and for similar companies, we deal with a lot of financial institutions. So that's the lens that we tend to focus on is what our financial institutions are doing, but then also looking at what type of financial institution they are, what market they're in, what are the issues that they're going to have to deal with to just focus efforts, because Companies know much better within their business activities how to change things once they identify what they should be focused on. But sometimes narrowing the scope of things down to something achievable is the most important first step. And then letting sort of letting the community within the organization from the management and from the employees figure out where their best course of action is, what's gonna be most effective, what are they gonna be able to accomplish and then be able to come back in next year and say, we did it. We did this. Now let's move on to up the ambition uh, for the next year, because it has to be something sort of iterative that over time shows progress over time is sustainable in terms of maintaining attention because people are bombarded by all kinds of things in their work lives. And so maintaining focus on something that's not just sort of how do we make our targets for this month or quarter or year. Is difficult unless there's sort of rationale for behind it for why it's important
1: yeah, I guess you're also tapping into a change of mindset because it's a different approach you're talking about narrowing down prioritizing and continuous iteration, you know learning mm-hmm. and seeing what to do, so yeah, it requires a change of mindset and quite a bit of work and patience as well to to be able to incorporate that into the daily business as we know it already Mm. today. And this leads me into how can you differentiate going back into buzzwords? How can we differentiate the buzzwords of being ESG driven as a communication exercise or a CSR activity Mm. and real commitment and action for someone looking from the outside as an audience? How can they assess what's real and what's just out there as decoration?
0: Yeah, I think that's part of what we have to do every day is, is figure out from what's out there, how much of it is real and how much of it is spin or communication exercise. And it's always levels of specificity help show that it's sincere. And also, like I mentioned, it's not a sort of one-off thing. So if you're doing focused on one thing that is a list of all the things in the headlines this year, Then next year you're focused on a completely separate list of things. And there's not specificity attached to each where there's something measurable that can be accomplished over time. Then it becomes difficult to see how that is getting really embedded into what day to day business activity is. On the contrary, where there's specific measurable intent of what, here's what we hope to accomplish. And then looking back, take from what today is being reported, look back to see what was outlined as the intention a year ago to see if it's following through on consistent themes they'll of course change somewhat year to year because everything out in the world changes a year ago. We didn't, we weren't planning on work from home and preparedness for pandemic, but there are some things that are still gonna be relevant. They should have been targeting a year ago and should be showing how well did that go this year and what's the plan for next year. And so I think that level of specificity really helps and having some consistency over time it's something that is really important for showing sincerity of purpose in what they're doing, and to show that it's affecting more than just on the sort of outward-facing communications, but is changing the way the company works inside.
1: So it's consistency and continuity in a certain and mm-hmm. continuous measurement. You mentioned something as well interesting. It's sincerity, right? And this brings me to this uh, moment. Where I wanna ask you about do you trust your or are you led by your gut feeling when you're able to assess this level of sincerity when you're dealing with an organization?
0: There's a lot that is needed from that's qualitative, uh that's not a hard measurement. And so how how much follow through there is and sincerity around efforts on responsible finance is something that There isn't the level of consistent data or consistent requirements, but even if there were, it's it's sort of, you have to read between the lines a little bit to see whether it's somebody doing it for the purpose of somebody told them that they had to do it versus seeing something worthwhile in the exercise that can benefit them and is worthwhile for them. And so I think that's where you can tell that people are doing it for the right reasons is that there's demonstrated that things are thought through well versus being sort of high level or just not detailed out about what's the, you know, you can say all, you can say you want to achieve all kinds of things and you can put up the squares of the SDGs on a, on a page, but if you don't show that you've thought through how your actions affect the outside and how the outsides changes affect the environment that you're working in beyond this quarter or the next quarter's profit, then that's a better way to tell. And it's a qualitative thing it's sort of a gut gut reaction but it's always sort of has to be informed by by looking at what's there and trying to put as many pieces together and sometimes they're spread out sometimes they're they're all over the place because organizations are made up of people and not everything is presented in condensed form into one single report
1: yeah yeah for sure so yeah, I get your point, and and uh, on a personal front as well, do you trust your your gut for your decisions? No, you don't. Okay.
0: I I like data and evidence. And I like to question my gut because there's so many things that are that we've learned about behavioral uh, economics that people's gut tends to mislead them more than it helps, just because of the way that's the way that people work. And so trying to combat those biases internally of how, you know, seeking out confirmation and not questioning things rigorously enough, I mean, that affects, that affects everyone. And so it's always, as much as there's can be some gut feeling about something, it's always gut checking out against data that tells you if it's reasonable to, to hold that belief.
1: Yeah, for sure. You, you, you assess at least, but yeah, when you don't have data, that's the tough one as well, right?
0: Well, I think, yeah, yeah. I think with if you don't have data, you have to take a more measured approach in terms of the certainty you can have. Yes. Uh, and I think that that's not necessarily always encouraged. Everyone is, pretty, is encouraged to have extremely high certainty about what they're speaking about. But I think having some self-doubt about that or questioning if you don't have data to back up what your beliefs are in terms of, this company is doing well, this company is doing poorly, those types of things that are measurable, but just we don't have the data so
1: yeah.
0: or we don't have visibility that it it's always important to take sort of a skeptical look on your own gut feelings, tell you can try to poke holes in them and see where might you be wrong.
1: Okay, interesting approach. And you mentioned actually data and visibility. And it takes me back to where we started. Why are there continuous hurdles to embrace responsible finance? And why am I linking this to data in a certain way is because you have data, but you need real data, kind of true data, because you can have lots of data. But again, it's, you know, how to narrow it down and visibility is another part of it as well. So why are there hurdles all the time?
0: I think the biggest hurdle is that people want something simple and standardized and that's probably not going to happen in most areas because you're not dealing with, I guess the the one area where you are dealing with the most level of certainty and quantitatively oriented action is in climate because we know what we have to do to reach Paris Agreement targets and those are the best estimates we have around how to keep uh, warming, warming under two degrees. But even there, there's, big uncertainties around tipping points and that should temper our, our certainty. But it doesn't mean that things are not important just because we don't have something that's easy, an easy data point to use to measure it. And every company is different. Every industry is different. And they have to take that into consideration where they're working, what the relevant issues are in the background, behind within the economy that they're working in or across the economies that they touch. So I think people want a lot more simplicity than is probably likely. There's there have been some efforts to clean up maybe some of the sloppier or, or gaps that allow sloppy practices to occur. Particularly, I think there's a lot been a lot of efforts on this in in Europe around the ESG reporting requirements that are now being put into law. But that'll help I think more with uh, with people trying to to game the system between different standards and paint a rosier picture than actually exists it's not it doesn't it still doesn't fix the fundamental problem which is that responsible finance is dealing with complex things and complex things and complex systems don't have that easy here's the 10 things if you report these in your esg you're good on esg it's much more continuously evolving and also more specific to the context in which it's operating and What was true today wasn't necessarily the case five years ago. So I think if people sort of become more comfortable with the fact that it's not sort of black and white, that you do this and you're good and you do that, you're bad, then they can spend more time focusing on how does this matter to me? How does this matter to others? How does this matter to the external environment, the society? And sort of embrace the messiness uh, a little bit.
1: Yeah, I guess there's a lot of risk-taking as well that requires a change of mindset mm-hmm. uh, in a certain sense, going back to that. Is there any, I'm not going to call it failed attempt, but an attempt that didn't go really well, let's put it that way, where you and the RFI were trying to help change mindsets and trying to help overcome some hurdles? I think in the, yeah, I think the
0: the issue of, you know, there's a the, I guess, there's sort of a definition of what do you, what do you really consider a failure? Uh, what I would define a failure as is being sort of on a strategic path that's headed in the wrong direction and continually having to sort row against that and do like a sort of strategic ref- retreat over time. Uh, and I think fortunately we haven't really had that situation. we Core proposition of RFI was that there's this alignment between Islamic finance and responsible finance, and that the world is moving towards closer convergence between the two. And I think that's uh, really held held true throughout the five years that we've been around. I think, I guess, with every sort of action to try to to try to change minds, to some degree, it's never going to be as successful as you hope when you set out. And so, that, but that's always more tactical issues of is this the right way to over the next three months, six months, 12 months to effect change. And something not going every according to plan on that, on a tactical plan, I guess it doesn't really concern me because you're still picking up something new. You're still learning something about how the evolution of the market is taking place. And it can inform future action and make you more effective than, I guess, coming up with sort of one grand plan and saying, wait till this is finished, and then we'll set out, and it'll be sort of high stakes, succeed or fail. I think it's we sort of have to reflect on the market, which is continuously evolving, and so it's almost we have to continuously adapt and refocus. And so there's always some element of success and failure to everything that we do. And as long as we're not continually having to row against being on the the wrong strategic path, I think we're we're in a good good spot.
1: Okay. So I want to, yeah, I mean, this last question has two folds. So the first one is if someone is interested in learning more about responsible finance, Islamic finance, and the role of the ESGs in those organizations, how can the RFI network support in that sense? And the other one is how to get in touch with you. Do you have like social media handles or, you know, any links you would like to share by voice? (laughs)
0: Yeah, I think the first the first step to, to learn more about the Islamic finance and responsible finance, we have a great report that we released about a year ago, written by Tantri Dr. Zedi Akhtar Aziz, who's the chair of the advisory, the council of advisors for RFI, and was formerly a governor of Bank Nagar in Malaysia, the central bank. And she's written a report going into detail, and I think providing a nice forward-looking roadmap for where the areas of convergence are. So I think that's a great place to start. And then we have a group of people who are sort of individually working, committed to responsible finance called the Emissary Network that, that you can find more information on our website, which is rfi.foundation. And I think that's there's some that you can pick up about and learn about by reading a report like the report that we have, Ethical Finance and Islamic Finance report on our website. And there's some that you can only really learn by interacting with other people who are involved and interested on a day to day basis, which is sort of the, with the motivation for creating the emissary network in the first place. So there's a place to put in your contact details to get more information on our website. And then also we're on LinkedIn and Twitter at RFI foundation is the Twitter account. My Twitter account is at sharing risk. So that's another sort of. More real time way to get in touch.
1: Cool. Yeah, and you I mean you do organize some activities and meetups in different regions, but I guess yeah, the updates will come soon. <laughs> when things if things I mean, yes, things will get back to normal. Yeah, thank you so much for that, Blake. That was uh super cool and I'm really glad we uh managed to have this conversation because it's obviously a fascinating topic today that we need to take action. And if each one of us can do a tiny little bit, things can change if we just change our mindset and become more responsible individuals as well, because companies can follow too in a certain sense.
0: Yeah. And I think one of the nice things that I've learned over time with Responsible Finance and RFI is... and my work in Islamic finance is that we have more in common than differences and on something as big as changing the way that finance works or that companies work, sort of joining up the dots between things that might seem different from if you didn't know a lot about them is always good. I mean, having an open mind about new information, new networks, new connections is really the only way to grow our influence uh, as individuals.
1: Here are some key highlights from this episode with Blake Gould. We spoke about the meaning and the definition of responsible finance and its importance, the ASGs, what to look for for change and most importantly, mindsets. Thanks for listening. You are listening to Gut Talks by Maria Matloub. To support the show, please subscribe, leave a review and share it with anyone who could benefit from listening to these stories and experiences. To continue the conversation, join the LinkedIn group or the Telegram channel. All links are in the show notes. Thanks for listening and see you next time.